Today's reading from the Word of God comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. Please follow along in your own Bibles on the screen behind me or listen as I read the Scriptures. Once again, that's the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology. At that time, children are invited to join kids' crew through the door on your right. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to, th to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello again, church. So I already introduced myself to you, but I'm going to do it again just so I can say for the first time, hello, my name is Bryn, and I'm one of the pastors at Anchor Bay Church. I have to tell you, I have been so emotional today, and it's just been like so beautiful to see our church come together around this entire process and even just to be the church. So this morning I was looking out of my window, uh, out of my office window, and I was seeing all of these people coming together to set up the party, and people have been working really, really hard for this day for a long time, and not just for this day, but for just being the church in general. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being the church um, thank you for being who you are, and I'm excited to enter into this next chapter together. So, it is our custom at the beginning of our sermons to take a moment and to just pause, to pray, to reflect on what we're bringing into the room this morning, and to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us uniquely through God's Word. And so I'm going to invite you to do that right now, and I'll open us with a word of prayer after a moment. God, you are so good. And you have been faithful to us season in and season out through seasons of joy and seasons of challenge and seasons of transition for 10 years and for hundreds of years. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for who you call us to be. And we pray that this morning you would challenge and change us, that you would invite us deeper and deeper into a relationship with you and with one another. And we thank you for the opportunity to come together, to be anchored in you, to be with you, and to be sent out by you. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been very interesting to kind of observe, like, where my focus goes at every stage of the, the process. So for the, the first kind of couple months that we were talking about choosing a new name for our church, I was paying attention to every church's new name, or every church's name everywhere. I would see a church, and I would, like, focus on their name, and I would wonder why they chose that name, and what's the meaning behind it. So, of course, there are the traditional church names, like Hamilton Congregational Church, First Baptist Church, First whatever church of whatever town. And there are the churchy-sounding names, like Faith, Hope, Calvary, Fellowship, Bible, Christian Church. Sometimes they'll throw in, like, a, a Greek word to show that the pastor went to seminary, like Zoe or Paraclete. Or there are the hit names, like The Verge or The Experience. Or, I kid you not, there is a megachurch in Oklahoma called Guts Church. Yeah. <laughs> 
because it, that's in Tulsa, uh, it takes guts to follow Jesus. It's amazing. So initially in this process, I was paying attention to every church name everywhere. It's actually been really fun too to, to go through this process with some of the other High Rock churches that have also been rebranding and choosing new names for their church. Um, High Rock Haverhill, which was a church that we planted in 2018, is also announcing their new name this Sunday, so I feel like I can tell you. And they're going to be called Haverhill Commons. And what I love about Haverhill Commons is that since we're Anchor Bay Church and they're Haverhill Commons, we can be surf and turf. <laughs> I was really proud of that. I was like more proud of that than choosing the name for our church. So, um, so I was like really focused on church names and then I got really interested in different logo designs and, and why you know, a church or a company or an organization would choose the particular logo that it did to represent itself to the world. There's a barbershop near my house that has a Hawaiian-themed logo. And I like to imagine all the barbers sitting around one day and they were like, so like, we got to rebrand. Like, what vibe do people really want when they're getting their hair cut in New England? A tiki lounge. I think we got it. I think we got it. <laughs> so then, of course, after we chose the Anchor Bay Church logo, which I absolutely love, I started to notice anchors everywhere. There are lots of organizations on the North Shore that incorporate anchors or use anchor imagery in their logos. There's, of course, there's Anchor Pub and Grill in Beverly. There's the landing, <laughs> I got a, <laughs> a little cheer. Uh, there's the landing in Salem. There's the Salty Cottage on Cabot. The ferry into Boston has anchors on it. Anchors are everywhere here. I was literally eating a protein bar before church service one, one Sunday, and I, <laughs> I noticed this logo on the wrapper and I like ran down to Kids Rock to show Pastor Allie. And I was like, is this a sign from God? Oh my gosh. There's, there's anchors everywhere. And so logos have begun very, become very interesting to me and very fascinating. And if you were to ask most people today, what is the logo for Christianity? What is the universal symbol that represents the Christian church? Most people today would say what? The cross. Right, the cross. But before the cross, before the cross became the symbol that everyone associated with the Christian church, you want to know what the logo was? It was an anchor. There were other Christian logos too. There were lots of symbols that represented Christianity back then. There were doves, there were harps. But in the, the days of the early church, much of the imagery that they used to tell the Christian story were nautical imagery. A fish, a ship, an anchor. Historians have found drawings of anchors on the Roman catacombs as early as the first century. When one of those first Christians died, their loved ones would draw pictures of anchors in their tombs. Anchors pointed to our firm hope and our eternal salvation, our eternal life with, with our Savior. And there were these secret messages that they would hide in the anchors too, because during the centuries that Christians were persecuted, they could actually embed a cross into the anchor, and if you weren't looking for it, you didn't realize what you were looking for or what you were seeing. But when you think about it, an anchor as a symbol for Christianity, it makes a ton of sense, right? Those early Christians, they lived in really tumultuous times. There was always a threat of political upheaval. There was social pressure, racism, sexism, ageism, classism. They faced famines and wars and global pandemics. And those early Christians, they needed a symbol to remind them that they were steady, that they had something to cling to when the wind and the waves of the world raged around them. So they reminded them that they had this hope. They had this hope as an anchor for their souls, that no matter what else, Christ was going to hold them firm. So the name Anchor Bay Church 
It might be brand new to our community. But in a way, it is a concept, it is a symbol that is as old as Christianity and older. And it represents something much more profound than our little fellowship here on the North Shore in 2022. It is about being rooted and established in something old and deep and sacred and eternal. It's about being anchored in Christ. But we didn't just choose the name anchor. We added that word bay with a purpose too, because we don't just want to stay static where we are. So in some ways, when you think about it, a bay is a place for safety. A bay is a place for refuge and returning and grounding. And a bay is a place of sending. It's where we set out from into the world. It's what connects us to people and places beyond ourselves. A bay is where you set out to explore, to discover, to journey. A bay is fluid. It's dynamic. It's moving. Anchor, bay, church. Those three words might not mean a whole lot to us yet. We mentioned earlier that a church name only really has meaning once we give it meaning. Over time, through stories and experiences and people and community, through encounters with the living God, that we come to associate with this people and this place and this mission and vision. I was talking with a member of our church, Benji Hughes, who's sitting over there a little while ago. Benji helped us figure out this whole process, so I shared the name with him early, and I was hoping that he would love it. Like, I was hoping that he'd be like, that name, that name is the most wonderful and perfect and amazing name that any church has ever been named in the history of time. It is so special, and you are so special. Because <laughs> that's what I wanted him to say, because I'm an Enneagram 4, and I want everyone to love me and everything that I do. <laughs> but Benji didn't say that. Benji said something much more important. He said, cool, Anchor Bay Church. That doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Benji. But then he said this. He said, that name doesn't mean anything to me right now, but give me two months, and then I'll love it, because then it will be my church. Then it will be my church. So right now, you might not feel a lot of emotional connection to those three words, Anchor Bay Church, but I hope that in two months you'll love it, because then it'll be your church. Now at this point, I have known the name for two months. At this point, two months later, I have come to associate those three words with stories and people that I love and experiences of Christ, and I love it, because it is my church. But at the end of the day, Whatever we call our church, it doesn't ultimately matter, does it? What matters is that we worship the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. And what matters is who he calls us to be as his disciples. And so this morning, I want to talk about what he calls us to be as disciples. I want to talk about what it means to follow Jesus and who I believe that God is inviting us to be in this next season of our church. And hopefully, hopefully by the time we get to the party, after the service, we'll have taken one more step in making some connections toward what these, those three words have to do with our vision statement and who we are as a community of disciples. So if you brought your Bibles, I'd invite you to open up to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, to the passage that Apu read for us a minute ago. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, so I, want, I talk about it a lot. Our story finds Jesus on his home turf. He's on a lake in Galilee. It's a place that he knows. It's a people that he knows. And he's been trying to get a little bit of R&R &R in the middle of all of the good work that he's been doing, all of the good ministry that he's been doing. 
But the crowds, they just won't leave him alone. They keep following along behind him, like I imagine like tin cans off a car bumper. And we don't know a ton about the crowds, but we know one thing. We know they came from Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and the regions across Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. In other words, we know they came from everywhere. Everyone who could flock to Jesus flocked to Jesus. They came from Salem and Beverly and Marblehead and South Hamilton. Everyone from the the Bay Area to the Bay State, they wanted to see Jesus. Everyone wants to be around him. Everyone wants to experience this this spectacle. The man who breaks the the rules and, and heals someone with just a word. The man who talks about some kingdom that's near and now. So these crowds, they're flocking from everywhere. They're trying to get a glimpse. Maybe they're trying to to touch him. Maybe experience some healing. Just get an experience of Jesus. They want to go home with a story. They want to go home with a photo they can show and say, I was there. And just when they're at the peak of curiosity, Jesus does something interesting. It says this, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. He called to him those he wanted. So these crowds, they're everywhere. They're flooding the streets. They're watching. They're waiting to see what he does next. And what, it, what he does next is he points to a few people in the crowd and he tells them to come with him. So you and you and you and you and you come follow me. So if you were one of the ones that Jesus points to and calls out, what would you be thinking? What would you be feeling? Would you be nervous? Like, Jesus, I, I just came to watch. I didn't really come to, to do anything. I don't know the right answers. I'm nobody. Would you be excited? Like, it's you finally on the jumbotron. What? That famous rabbi? Is he looking at me? Hi, Mom. Would you be confused? Like, who's he? Me? Why me? I think I would feel all of that if Jesus pointed at me in the middle of the crowd and bid me come. And here's the part that I have a really hard time understanding. It says, Jesus called those he wanted. The Bible does not say that Jesus called those who were the most qualified or the most impressive or who had done all the right things or who were the healthiest and the holiest and the most articulate. He doesn't call those who had the best theology or the best looks or the most money. Jesus doesn't call people the way that most of us would call people. Mark just says he called those he wanted. People for a specific purpose. People who he would commission to invite the rest of the crowds along to. Who Jesus called, who Jesus called never had anything to do with who they were. It had everything to do with who he was. He is the one calling out to them, out to us, out to you. Discipleship is always on Jesus's initiative follow me, follow me. And then those he he called, he appointed the 12. The gospel says he called them that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Now I want to unpack that verse for a few minutes because it has powerful implications for how we live out the Christian life. So I'll read it again. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. There are two calls of discipleship, twin calls that go hand in hand, to be with Christ and to be sent out by Christ. 
You can't fully have one without the other. And as I've dug down into these calls and what it looks like for the church, I've been calling it an ampersand. Some of you have already heard me calling it an ampersand for the last few months. It's a yes and. So this last spring, we did a, a series called Yes And. And if you weren't with us in the spring and you've never heard that phrase before, yes and, it comes from improvised comedy or improv. And it's a performing arts form where there isn't like a strict script and the performers make up characters and the dialogue and the scene and what's, what's, unhap what's happening uh, on the spot. Some examples of improv you might have heard of are the shows like Whose Line Is It Anyway and Middle Ditch and Schwartz. Yes and is a rule of thumb and primary guiding principle of improv. Yes and suggests that one participant should accept whatever the other participant has, is saying, yes, and then expand on that line of thinking, and. So if one performer sets up a scene in a coffee shop, the other performer is not supposed to say, no, 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 we're actually in a park. Yes and also gets used in uh, brainstorming processes. It's a, a means to foster effective communication, to keep the flow of ideas coming. Instead of shutting anyone's ideas down, you say yes and, and you build on those ideas. So at our church, we embrace what we call a yes and theology. And we see a yes and of discipleship in this passage. So I want to dig a little bit deeper into those two invitations, the yes and that Jesus makes to those first disciples. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out. So first, be with Jesus. Be with Jesus. This was an invitation into a very real and deep and committed friendship with Christ. It was the kind of friendship where you can hang out in frayed pajamas. You can linger over long meals and campfires. It's the kind of friendship where they can, they can pop in unannounced and you don't mind that they see your dishes in the sink and they don't either. This is a kind of invitation to a kind of friendship where they tell you that you have spinach in your teeth that needs digging out. Or you have sin in your heart that needs digging out. And you don't feel embarrassed or exposed that they told you. You feel loved. Because they, you know that they're going to stand by you while you dig that thing out. No matter how unattractive you look while you're digging. But this, this first call of Jesus isn't just about friendship. It's also an invitation toward discipleship. And when we think of that word disciple, if you've been around the church for any length of time, you think about that word disciple, lots of us think about discipleship as being a student, which makes sense because the word disciple literally means learner. But disciples were a lot more than learners in Jesus' day. It did include that. But when a rabbi would invite someone to be their disciple, it was more than that. Disciples were more than, than just students. The goal for the disciple wasn't just to learn from the rabbi. It was to become exactly like the rabbi. It was to live into his mission and his teaching and then continue it on into the world even beyond him. Some early Jewish sages said it like this. They said disciples were to cover themselves with the dust of their rabbi's feet. The idea was that by the end of the day, the rabbi's disciples would have been following so closely behind him that they would be covered in dust from their shoes. There are stories of rabbis today that go into the restroom and their disciples will follow them into the restroom because they don't want to miss a single thing that a rabbi might say or do. Anything, actually. And this is what Jesus was inviting his disciples to do with him, to be so connected with him that they would be covered in dust, that they would be transformed by who he is, that they would be anchored in Christ. This is an invitation to be rooted 
to be grounded, to be centered in Christ, no matter what else is shifting under your feet. So the first invitation, the first invitation is to be with Jesus. But there is a second invitation. It says, he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out. To be sent out by Jesus. Not in their own power, but by his authority to preach good news and to cast out the demons of the world. Now in the Gospel of Mark, casting out demons meant casting out demons. But it had a broader meaning too. Mark used that phrase to describe any work of healing, any participation in Christ's mission in the world. Casting out demons in this gospel meant any activity where God's good news was proclaimed, where evil was cast out, and where light was brought into dark places. This was an invitation to declare with Jesus that all the brokenness in the world would be healed, that all the world systems and corporations and schools and governments, the environment itself, with Christ ultimately, it would be used for love instead of condemnation, peace instead of competition, grace instead of accusation. It meant joining with Jesus in justice work, in casting out all of the evils of racism and sexism and ageism and classism so that a new way of dealing with people ultimately wins the day into eternity. This is a call out of the crowd to the disciples with heavier, higher service and heavier responsibility, being with Christ, yes, and being sent out by Christ. Before, they were just one of the crowd. They were interested, maybe, curious, sure, in need of healing themselves, definitely. Now, now they are the 12. They are called out, appointed, uniquely chosen to be with Jesus and to be sent out by him to change the world in his name. Ampersand calls of discipleship that go hand in hand. And at our church, that is how we come to describe discipleship too. As Christ followers, we believe that personal salvation and an understanding of Christ as Savior and Lord relates to how we serve God, which relates to how we serve and love others. So loving neighbors as ourselves Caring about the mission of the world is part of how we work out our personal salvation. One out of every three times in scripture that Christ speaks in the New Testament, he tells his disciples to care for the poor, the afflicted, and people on the fringes of society. One day he's asked what the greatest commandment is, and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. In other words, love God with all of who you are. And then he says, and the second greatest commandment is just like it love your neighbor as yourself. Christ tells us that loving God and loving neighbor go hand in hand. It's all part of how we follow him. It's all part of our walk as disciples. Now, we mentioned in June, when we were talking about our, our rebrand process, we mentioned that we sent out surveys and, and we had vision breakfast and we had so many people participate. And it was really exciting and a really unifying uh, process. And let me tell you, if you are ever a pastor and you want to feel like your church is in a good place, then spend a year after a global pandemic talking about where you think the Spirit is leading you as a church. And then at the end of it, ask people what they think the Spirit-led vision is and have hundreds of people say back to you the same things. It was amazing. As I was listening to people share, I was like, oh my, it's like we've been listening to the same Holy Spirit together. We are so unified. It was really beautiful. 
And in those conversations, there were lots of things that people talked about that they love about our church. They talked about the community. They talked about the creativity, the hospitality. They love the youthfulness. They love the wisdom. They love women in leadership, multi-generational leadership. They love that we, have, we are committed to, to doing what we can to grow in diversity racially and culturally. But there were two ideas, two ideas that came up over and over and over more than anything else that was shared in those conversations. What we love about our church right now and what we hope to invest in in deeper ways in the future were two concepts. The first one was spiritual formation. We want to be deeply formed and changed and transformed by God and God's word. The first was spiritual formation. And the second thing that came up was biblical justice biblical justice. We want to stand in solidarity with others. We want to serve our neighbors. We want to carry their burdens. We want to advocate for change in the world. We are for personal transformation and community renewal. We are for scriptural authority and social justice. We are for individual transformation and social change. We want to be with Jesus and we want to be sent out by Jesus. In other words, we want to be disciples. Our vision statement says it well. We want to see transformation through loving Jesus, serving neighbors, and celebrating life. It's almost like an equation, like a, a math equation with a promise at the end. When we love Jesus and when we serve our neighbors, then we get to celebrate new life in Christ. Jesus called his disciples to be with him and to be sent out by him, just like I hear him calling to us. And in the Gospel of Mark, something happens next that I think is really amazing. It says this. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of, uh, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas. James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, at first, this doesn't seem all that amazing, right? It, it just kind of seems like a list of names, and it is, but it's also a gift. When you think about the crowds, the crowds were nameless, faceless. They were no one in particular. But in this gospel, the disciples, they're called out by name. It was being with Jesus that gives them their name, their purpose, their identity, and for the, the rest of the book, they're most often referred to as the Twelve, like one singular character coordinating their efforts, traveling en masse. Now they, they aren't just nameless, faceless ones of the crowds or, or even individuals acting alone on their own mission. Now they are the Twelve, which became the dozens and the hundreds and the millions and billions of Christ followers who have walked the earth since Jesus came. Now they are one body, with one identity and one purpose. They are a family, a team, the seeds of the church. And, and so, with all these invitations, his disciples, they join him, and they start to live out Jesus' teachings, and they take what he said seriously, and they go straight into the parts of the world with broken hearts and broken families and broken bottles, and they work hard to right broken systems, to stand up for the marginalized, to set captives free, just like Jesus has done for them. And it's hard work. It means they have to be honest about their own struggles, their own shame, their own sin, things that they would rather hide or numb or sweep under a rug. It means they have to let those things out there to be transformed by Jesus. 
and grow into better people themselves. And that's painful sometimes. It means sometimes they end up sweaty and bloody and dusty because they are on the ground fighting for a kingdom they believe in with all of who they are. But it's worth it. It's worth it because gradually, gradually as they follow Christ, they become more hospitable and more curious. They become more humble. They become more authentic neighbors. And they fight for justice in creative ways. And they experience joy in that journey. And then one day Jesus goes to the cross. For them, for us, for the whole world. And on the cross, he removes any barrier that would keep, uh, keep us from God, from sin and shame that we put up. And three days later, he rises again and he breathes new life, his life, his purpose, a resurrected life into his disciples. And he says, as the Father has sent me, go, now I'm sending you. Be with Jesus. We are invited to be close to God up front through Jesus' work on the cross. And be sent out by Jesus. We get to declare the good news of the resurrection, which is worthy of a party, a big party, with a swing band and face painting and Daniel Erickson's famous cupcakes. Because those early Christians, they passed on the faith to the next generation and the next and the next and the next, and now it's our turn. When we hear our name, Anchor Bay Church, The hope is that we would be reminded of that vision statement that Jesus gave to his disciples. Anchor representing our grounding, our rootedness, our safety and our security in Christ, be with Jesus. Bay represents the sending, the idea that we are being sent out by Jesus to serve our neighbors on the North Shore. We are anchor and we are bay. We are ampersand. So if you take a look at our logo, it centers around the cross. But Levi has also incorporated the ampersand in our logo, if you see, if you look at that rope. The purpose is that when we look at this logo, we are reminded of our vision statement, transformation through loving Jesus, serving neighbors, and celebrating life. Now, Christians have been called a lot of names over the last few thousand years. The 12 people of the way, the ecclesia, Christ followers, Christians. And our local church has been called by several names over the past couple hundred years. Third Congregational Society, Dane Street Congregational, High Rock North Shore. Now we are called Anchor Bay Church. But at the end of the day, whatever name we are called here, it isn't what's important. What is important is the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. What is important is his movement in us and our connection to that movement. That's what gives us our meaning and our purpose and our identity. And so this morning, I want to invite you yes, you, to hear Jesus calling you to be a disciple. He's calling you out of the crowds to follow him, maybe for the first time and maybe for the hundredth time. You and you and you and you follow him. Jesus is calling us. He's inviting us. He's appointing us today to be with him, to be anchored in him, and to preach the good news, to cast out the evils and demons of the world, to be sent out. Will you? Will we? Answering this call, it is a heavy call. It means being anchored in Christ, even when he challenges you, so that you can see his heart and let it change your life. Answering this this call means studying God's word, allowing it to change you, to transform you into the person that you were created to be. 
It means spending time with community, holding one another accountable, speaking to one another with both grace and with truth. Answering this call means praying big prayers for the North Shore and expecting the kingdom to show up here and now and then rolling up our sleeves to be part of it. It means choosing to give money and time and talent generously and sacrificially instead of just when you have extra or believe you can afford it. Answering this call means opening our homes and our hearts to our life groups and and to the lonely in our community without hesitation and with total hospitality. It means taking time out of our schedules to become educated on what's happening in our world with with race and, and gender and class and our culture and humbly seeking solutions and then following through. It means loving Jesus, serving our neighbors, and celebrating life. Because the promise when we love Jesus and serve our neighbors is that in the end, we will be celebrating life, Christ's life, the resurrected life, long into eternity with him. So let's pray, let's serve, and then let's have a party. Lord Jesus, we hear you calling us. And we don't always understand why, but you do, and we trust in you. So today, for those of us who are feeling invited by you for the first time, we ask that you would surround them, surround them with yourself, surround them with this church. We pray for easy avenues of discipleship, that they would be able to come to know you. And those of us who are feeling that invitation for the hundredth time, We pray that that you would bring us towards you in deeper and deeper ways, that you would be continually transforming who we are. And God, we ask for creativity as you send us out on your mission in the world. Would you give us boldness? Would you give us courage? Would you give us joy as we serve our neighbors alongside you? We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.